everyone, and welcome back to another episode of We Made Changes. It's been a very, very, very long time. We were just improving this podcast, and that's what the break was for. Expect the same, though. Uh, today, we're talking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. I'm in my office. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? No, I'm a stunt man. Look at me. So you still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. The just recently, most recently released Tarantino film, his ninth film of supposedly ten. So it was kind of a big deal, and it's probably his most emotional film or for him at least it was his emotional film yeah so i think i think you could make the case that jackie brown was an emotional film but this was his is is this your describe the movie in one word uh category i guess is are you saying it's emotional um i'm like i'm gonna break the one word i think maybe a two words like love letter it's a love letter yeah everyone's saying it's a love letter yeah uh, I would say it's romantic. Romantic's a good one, too. Because I think, secretly, Quentin Tarantino is in love with Hollywood. It's not a secret, really. No, I mean... If he could marry Hollywood, if Hollywood existed and it was legal to marry it, he yeah. would. I, I think you could say this was his... He probably had the most fun making this movie. Yeah. I think he, he, got, he said as much. He got to redo all of, like, Hollywood Boulevard to restore to when he was a child. I mean, yep. this was just his thing. So we're bringing that at you today. Uh, quick and easy. It's been like two weeks since we've both seen it. So bear with us when we go, when we, uh, when we're thinking a lot, but we'll come at you with all of our thoughts on it right after this intro. talking once upon a time in hollywood quentin tarantino's penultimate film i like using the word penultimate so i made sure i put it in there just a good word makes me feel smart sweet stash by the way thank you yeah i shaved today i was like i might as well leave the mustache did you do it just to record the podcast i think so i think it feels more 60s feels way more 60s yeah sweet it fits it definitely fits um some quick really quick background on it it cost an estimated 90 million dollars I'm sure most of that was on the set, creating the sets because they had to redo, like I said, most of 
all of the all of the locations on Hollywood they had to restore it to 1960s mm-hmm. um, and the cars and everything. So far, and this was I actually wrote this a couple days ago. Probably more, but it's made over 100 million so far. That's really good for this type of movie. It's Tarantino's largest opening weekend, and it's on track to be his highest grossing ever. I don't think that's that surprising, based on trailers, based on the stars, the content of the trailers, and you know, I think it's more accessible to more people. Yeah, than some of his older films. That's true. Um, I guess now I just have uh, no faith in the movie making business. So that's why I'm surprised. Right. You're kind of just expecting a superhero to jump out at any second. Yeah. Um, just to put this into perspective, again, Rotten Tomatoes, take it for what, what you want. It's got an 85% on there. I believe Black reason. Panther has like a 98 or something. So, yeah. I mean, it, I'm sure all the superhero movies are up in the 90s. Yeah. So again, take take the Rotten Tomatoes score with, with a grain of salt. But quick synopsis on this movie. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing as TV star Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, make their way around an industry they hardly recognize anymore. I think this synopsis plays along with the trailers that were released for this movie. I think intentionally the trailers were made a certain way, and they gave almost nothing about the actual plot away. And mm-hmm. we'll get into why that is. But I think, you know, at the end of the movie, you realize why he didn't, why the trailers were made a certain way. Yeah. Well, I think that's also in part down to what we said is that it's his biggest opening. Like, I think the trailers made it seem like, hey, we have Pitt and we have Leo and these guys are just going to bro out. Yeah. Um, which they do for a lot of the yeah, movie. Um, I think a tagline was like the best bromance you'll see on screen or something. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, QT has said this is like a hangout movie um, and that'll be really good on like rewatches like in five years. Much um, better than maybe like a Reservoir Dogs. Right, yeah, <laughs> definitely. This is definitely a chill hangout movie. I think you could come in and out of it you could probably watch yeah. 40 minutes at a time if it's you know on tv in 10 years and just be like cool i'm gonna catch like 40 minutes of this film mm-hmm. um yeah it's yeah i think to, to go back to the money in the opening that it's made um i think it, you know nowadays there really aren't these kinds of films that you know a director can kind of do whatever he wants and still have this opening. Tarantino's one of the directors that does whatever he wants. He's probably one of the few that gets away with that. And I think maybe the other one who can do this so well, who no matter what kind of movie they throw out, it's going to be a big opening, is someone like Christopher Nolan. He, he it's a movie and it's a huge opening. Yeah. Um, and I, so I was excited, but maybe also nervous because I think his, la- his eighth movie was Hateful Eight. Which is probably his worst movie. I didn't like it. Yeah. To be honest, to be blunt. It was like a Reservoir Dogs in a cabin. It was just long and slow. Yeah. There's a lot about Tarantino that's different. And you'll you'll hear people say it's a Tarantino film. Like that whenever you watch a movie. Yeah, it's a Tarantino film. That's how they'll describe it. And I think maybe he doesn't get enough credit in the fact of what he does. That, that makes it sound very singular. And a lot of his movies actually do feel different. 
this is much different than a lot of his other movies. I think he does a lot of different stuff in this this movie. I yeah. don't think this is a classic QT movie if you're expecting to go into a Inglorious Bastards or a uh, Django Unchained. There's there's a lot of diff- a lot of different stuff going on here. Um, back to the Nolan comparison. I don't. I get what you're saying. I don't know if that's even fair. The Nolan just openings that you know are going to be huge were what a lot of Batman, also comic book, also superhero stuff. But even even Dunkirk was his most uh, nominated that's a, that's film. That's a great one, yeah. I mean, I guess what I mean by, by Nolan is he has a dedicated group of fans that will show up just because it's him and he knows how to wield movie stars like yeah. Tarantino. I guess I would just say he takes on more... I, I don't know how it would put it popular popular type of films like Dunkirk is a World War II film yeah. Batman is Batman um, almost every QT movie is pretty crazy and unique yeah. as far as script goes um, and this one's like no different I think he said like he was writing this for four or five years as a novel yeah because I think that's something he wants to go into when he's done. Uh, yeah, he was like writing Once Upon a Time as a novel for years. Probably a pretty good novel. And then was like, uh, this would probably be really yeah. awesome on screen. I'll talk about Tarantino's scripts. Um, he obviously has done a lot of movies. He's written more than his nine movies. He's directed other movies that he hasn't written. He's also written movies that he hasn't directed. He counts his movies as he's wrote them and directed them. There's this sense, and you get it from this movie too, and you get it from almost all of them, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, that like the ending is just like kind of, it just ends. There's no climax. And that may be my favorite. There's a climax, but you're like, what did I just watch? What was the point of what I watched? Almost. You're just, you're taking a really short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Like Reservoir Dogs, for example. I mean, it's like you, you meet them in the diner and then you meet them after after it happens the robbery and that's it and then it's over this is a little over two days once upon a time and that's it yeah well he does well I see what you're saying it's over we see a short period of time on screen but he does something that like it's kind of crazy in this It fa- he fast forwards six months in this movie no one else can do this um and I didn't know that was going to happen before no. seeing it, um, which is why when I went in and they said, I think I think it opens in February mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And I was like, well, the Manson murders happen in the summer. It's yeah. so like I'm a loser and I read a lot about murders and serial killers and stuff because it's interesting. Get back to this. Uh, I'm like, what's going to happen? How are they going to do six months of... How is he going to shoot six months right. of the story? Which is, obviously, he decided that he couldn't. Yeah. Maybe as a novel, you know, some of that would have filled filled itself in. But, yeah, it's, I mean, what we actually see is over a very short period of time. Right. Um, yeah, as far as, like, what, what you're saying goes, for two... Well, how long is this movie? Two hours two and... 48 or something? For two hours and 20 minutes, it's just a hangout movie. Yeah. And it's just some dialogue. people hanging around in Hollywood yeah. talking. And then the very end, 
you know, yeah, it gets turned up is is when it turns up. Uh, as guess, the kids would say, it gets turned. I guess I'll disclaim this right now, uh, as we we normally do. This spoiler alert: we're going to talk about the whole movie. So, if you haven't seen it, turn it off now. Um, I want to. You mentioned the the Sharon Tate, the Manson murders. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, I think. It assumes you know what happened. It assumes, you know, the way it highlights... What what street did you live on? I don't remember. Uh, Cielo Drive. And it, like, pans over, like, zooms in on that street sign. And yeah, it, like, and you highlight- get the guys racing down the street. Right. I mean, it's very... It assumes you know what's happening because it's leading you to that point. Everything is leading you to that. He says, you know, I live next to Roman Polanski. Oh, my God. I could be in a Polanski movie soon. Those of you who don't know, Polanski was like the hottest director coming up in that time. Later on in his life, he gets, you know, that's why I don't think, uh, you didn't hear any complaints about how he portrayed Polanski because he's not really, doesn't really play much of a part in this No, movie. but, uh, just, you know, to clarify, Polanski's kind of a piece of shit now. We found out. Anyway, do you think that if you didn't know what, what the Manson murders were, or the Tate murder was, you might've been lost in this movie? Uh, maybe. Because even the trailer, it didn't give away, really, that it was going to happen. You would, I mean, if you, like, are like us and you read up on stuff before it comes out, you know that that's what it's surrounded. Well, I think it kind of all ties back into QT having this cult following. Yeah. And I think he went into it believing that the people that are going to go see his films Mm. would have some background on the Sharon Tate They've been following the Manson family yeah. murders, but I don't know if I hadn't, you know, at least had a little background of you know what happened. I don't, you know, it's hard for me to say because I I knew yeah, I already yeah. knew so, so much about it. Um, I, that's a really unique perspective, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess to put in in perspective, I knew it too, um, but I was there with my fiance and she had no idea and i didn't know how to explain this movie to her because i didn't really know what it was beforehand and once she kind of figured out that it was about manson and we have you know of course in america we have this obsession with serial killers so she likes it she was like looking it up in the movie theater on her phone not cool not cool we were in the back we were in the back corner so still not cool Uh, but she was looking up and then and then as soon as she figured out what it was she was interested she was very interested in the movie so i think that if you didn't know that story, you might have been lost. And and it kind of goes back to your point that this is just a hangout movie for the first two hours and yeah, twenty minutes. I and you, yeah. I guess you didn't. You don't need to know in that context. Yeah, I don't know if you would have. You know, you might just think it's boring. The ending might be weird. I guess if you didn't. Know. <laughs> the ending would be weird, but you might just be sitting there after an hour, being like, "What the hell <laughs> the are point? all these western flashbacks about? And right. what you know? Why are we just watching Brad Pitt?" crying and stuff like that um because there really isn't let's be honest i don't know that there's a whole lot of plot uh i think it's just character development it's just about that over not much though transition i mean it's like it's about the transition in hollywood and most historic hollywood historians pinpoint the tate murders as being that transition in hollywood so i think that's what his what tarantino's using that as kind of that leverage and that's DiCaprio Leonardo DiCaprio's whole 
character is struggling to fit into new Hollywood. You know, he hates hippies, which is one of the funniest things yeah. ever. Uh, we'll get into that. But I want to highlight, one, there's a few touchy things. With any Tarantino movie, there's kind of some controversy. And there's a few touchy areas that people have just, on the internet, you know, they love to type. We're going into controversies? Oh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sporadically put them in. The first one I want to talk about is Sharon Tate. This was, like, before the movie even was shown to anyone. It was shown in... Um, Khan and a female reporter asked you know like why doesn't Sharon Tate have more lines why doesn't Margaret have any lines and he just said I reject your hypothesis because he doesn't agree about that but there are a lot of people who think that you know Tarantino might not have the best relationship with female characters and now in this movie she doesn't have really any lines I uh, you can tell me your opinion but I disagree with that whole Hypothesis, I guess I'll be like Tarantino. I disagree with the whole hypothesis. It's really not about her. This is a movie from Leo and Cliff Booth, you know, Cliff Booth and um, their perspective. Mm -hmm. And she's just there as kind of this ending point. And and in many ways, she's kind of the, in the end, she's like the one that goes unscathed, like the clean hero almost. Yeah, I don't think you need lines necessarily to make a big impact on a film uh, and a story. Um, she was spoiler electric. alert, she lives. Yes, in the movie, yeah. Tarantino keeps Sharon Tate alive. Much like in Glorious Bastards where he changes history. Alternate history, yeah. He changes history here. Tar Tate lives. Um, Sharon Tate lives, which I think kind of says it all. I think Margot Robbie was awesome in this movie. Yeah. Oh, she was electric um, in this and movie. And she was just this fun, innocent. friendly, innocent, hippie actress, uh, very embracing mm. of the you know the current culture at that time. So I think she comes across as really awesome and yeah. a fun person. Like I think Tarantino makes her someone that when i'm watching i'm just like let's hang out yeah, let's hang out and i think you're right you don't counting lines in a movie is a bad way to assess who takes the movie i mean her her whole i was like maybe like five minute ten minute scene in the in the movie theater where she's watching herself it's one of the best parts of the movie it was amazing i mean it was like i would love to sit there with her and watch her movies um margot robbie is undoubtedly one of the best actresses on I guess I should say actor. They make that point in the actor. movie. Yeah. Um, on the planet right now. Um, and she did amazing. And right. I think that I agree with Tarantino that I I reject the hypothesis that she needs some more lines. It's you just, it's way off base. And I think it's kind of already been debunked by so yeah, a lot many of people. Because he literally keeps her alive. And he literally spends, you know, minutes showing the real Sharon Tate on screen. Yeah, right. They didn't use Robbie. In they one of her, her movies, um, you know, in the theater scene where she's watching herself, which is very funny. Do you think he's trying to make a... And this is just getting real deep into theoretical concepts. Do you think he's saying if he could, he would try to save Robbie? Or of course. Tate, Sharon Tate. Yeah, of course. I think so. And I think that that says it all i mean he would rather sharon tate be alive obviously just like he wanted you know some jews to go shoot the shit out of hitler and with a machine gun listen that was amazing and that might be one of his best movies ever so we'll definitely get into where this this movie ranks in his other movies mm -hmm. um and i just can't wait to see what he does for his 10th and final apparently i just hope it's not star trek uh tangent there 
Let's talk about the two act, the two leads in this. Obviously, one is going to be the lead, which is Leo, and then Pitt will be nominated most likely for supporting. These two in a movie never been done before. Mm -hmm. Did it work for you? Oh yeah, they were amazing together. Yeah, like I th they were great. I think if you guys have listened to this pod at all, you'll know I'm the biggest Leo fan in the world. And to be honest, this is one of his best movies. The way that he handles the vulnerability of someone who can't find their grip on being in Hollywood, which we know Leo from a young age has always been the man. He's unbelievable. His meltdown scene in the trailer where he's yelling at himself like, you fucking alcoholic. You really? Six martinis? Or That was amazing. That's so good. And Pitt in this is really good. But I think it's just like his... He's kind of almost doing himself. Mm. I he's really good in this. I, I can't give anything away from Pitt, but the what Leo is able to do being the success he is, I think is unbelievable. I was never a team Leo guy. Mm. Um, so you're alone there. That's fine. I don't have a man crush on Leo. That's all right. Uh, but this like was a great role for him. Mm. And he definitely, as you said, embraces like so much vulnerability in this role as just this old man who is only a one trick pony and he's just this western tough guy yeah i mean he always needs his stunt double to like bail him out of every you know all these situations yeah. which he literally saves his life <laughs> uh, at the end of the movie um i'm sure leo's gonna get nominated for best actor, I, and I, I, I mean, this year's been absolutely shit. For garbage. Movies. But real quick tangent, I think that he deserves an Oscar for this over Revenant. I would agree, and I think he deserved an Oscar for Wolf Wall Street over Revenant too. So anyway, but uh, you know, I kind of have a problem with Brad Pitt just being in the supporting actor role because he's just as prominent it's in equal. this movie. It's, screen time's uh, got to be equal, but. I'm sure they'll split them up that way, and they might both win. That'd be they, amazing. They might both win a statue. Um, Pitt, for me, was just ridiculously good in this. Oh, man. When he says, when he's high on the acid dip blunt or cigarette, and he says, and away we go. That was amazing. <laughs> I was dying of laughter. Uh, his lines were so well delivered. He did like an, uh, he kind of did like an Aldo. Mm -hmm. accent just like less like stereotypical um yeah. it was funny because they know there's this like conspiracy theory about tarantino movies that they all live in the same universe and uh in inglorious bastards he pretends to be a stuntman yes and then he's a stuntman in this movie so it's just kind of funny but I, Pitt is amazing but those two working together i think was awesome i hope to see them do that again at some point you did make a comment to me before we recorded this that you think both of them are out of their prime. Do you think that when after you've seen this movie, because you said that before you saw it, does that change? Does this movie change that opinion for you? I don't know if that I meant that they were out of their prime, but I, I think what I was trying to say was that you're getting them probably at the tail, their end. tail end of their prime. Like I don't think that, and I very well might be wrong, but I don't know that they can keep playing such prominent roles i think you get both of them together with two perfect roles like written for them mm, yeah it's already been successful 
I don't know that either of them will be in su- on such a big, you know, successful film that's as good as this. Yeah. I don't know what's next for Leo. I mean, Leo didn't even make a movie. He hasn't made a movie for four years. He takes breaks. He takes big breaks. So, I don't know. I mean, I've never even been a big Leo fan. He does have movies, like, lined up. All of his movies are picked years in advance. So, what's next? That's a good question. For Pitt, I think it's Ad Astra. Ad Astra comes out. I don't know. He must have filmed that. Like back to back, he's he's working. Like, well, he's also ripped in this movie. He is. He's for a man. The, for the ladies out there. Brad Pitt in this movie is his scene is a stud. On, the, on the top of the roof. There, I mean, that's that's what you want. So, Leo's upcoming movies as an actor, he is um, gonna be in Devil in the White City. Make. That's one of my favorite books, so I, I, that, I could already be wrong. I could also see that not going very well. It says TV series, though, which is weird. Um, oh, that's going to be a show? Maybe like a Netflix or something, probably. Probably like a six to eight episode yeah. type he, deal. It says Roosevelt. He's going to play Teddy Roosevelt. Mm, I'm not really interested in that. No, that might be like when he played uh, FBI director. I, that... J. Edgar, which was not a good movie. <laughs> no. Um, anyway... I think I think you could be right. I mean, we see it. You know, I guess kind of maybe someone someone to compare to who's already gone through that late stage is like a Robert De Niro, who's like, yeah, when he's in movies, he's really good, but the role completely changes, and it's harder for them to carry a movie because you need that good looking young a, actor. There's that. a guy in this movie that's an even better example of that. It's Al Pacino. Pacino, who's going to be in the new De Niro movie. So I guess the point is like, what is Hollywood? They're always looking for the next thing, right? The young people, like Timothy Chalamet, or yeah, I mean, who does? So I, I get it. That's kind of what I was going for. I, get I mean, it. and like Pacino and De Niro, like you said, I mean, those guys hit a point where like people got less and less interested in yeah, seeing them sure. lead, you know, be the leading man in a movie. Yeah, it was like, you can't just put their name on it and expect people to turn up and like Right, because the kids are into superheroes now. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do Irishman another time, but I think, and I, I've seen this a lot, and people like to talk about it, so I just want to know a quick opinion. People say that Pitt and, and Leo are kind of like the two last movie stars, like real movie stars, like old Hollywood. Do you agree with that? And do you think that is a reason that Tarantino, this is an amazing opening for it? I probably do agree with that because I, I mean, look at all the big openings now. What are they? I keep, I keep going to this. They're superhero They're movies. Superheroes. You don't need, you know, this huge movie star to play a superhero because he's wearing a cape or has some kind of superpowers. Yeah. It's not a, you know, well, the big movies now are not script driven. They're not dialogue driven. To be fair, look at the big super movies. There's like 10 leading actors. Right. And they each have what? Yeah. You know, less lines. So I mean, this they don't is Ryan too, really. I mean, and Robbie, obviously, Margot Robbie brings in uh, people people's attention. But this is two people who, you. I mean, let's not, let's not forget this is a Tarantino movie. His name alone is going to bring people to the movie. Yeah. There's so much dialogue, which I can't wait to go through and watch it again. Yeah. And just pick up on all the lines. Definitely need a second watching. Um, real, real quick. I went and saw this in the suburbs, so maybe my perspective was different. We're in Chicago, by the way. So I went and saw it in the suburbs. You probably went and saw it in like Logan Theater. Yeah, Logan Theater. 
there was a lot of older people in the theater. Obviously, here, maybe not as much. Uh, here, it's, you know, I mean, I would say 30 to 50 years old was the audience. Yeah, I mean. And everyone was, you know, was having beers in the theater. And, yeah, to me, it was an older audience. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and I guess because 60s, right? That's my 60s, thing. Tarantino, I mean, what, his first. Well, he's been around for 30 years. first movie came out in 94. Yeah, he's been around for 30 years. Maybe 92, maybe it was Reservoir Dogs. I don't know. So, yeah, 30 years of movies and um i will say the theater was nice and quiet you know if you're a 16 to an 18 year old i don't know that you're really getting into tarantino right now maybe i think you probably might, when like, you go to college there's a little rite of passage that you need to watch pulp fiction and i don't know you think you think new up-and-coming kids will like his old movies or do you think they'll their favorites will be inglorious bastards Django? Stuff that's shot modern, because you, I mean, Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, those all look old. Like when you watch it, they look old because mm-hmm. they are. Even now though, he does he does shoot on film, which is, you know, my favorite. But they look older. Do you think they'll even like that? Because there's those ones are heavy dialogue, heavy moments of silence. I don't know how you couldn't not like Pulp Fiction. I agree, but like I, if you don't, I, there's a problem. Yeah, we're not friends, probably. So I mean I don't know we got you got to get some kids on this podcast. I guess we'll get some youngins on here. And ask you them. need to walk down the street and find a kid. I guess we'll do. I don't see many kids around here, but I guess we'll do. A, we need to do a Pulp Fiction episode then. Yeah, we'll do it like a Tarantino. Week. I just watched Pulp Fiction like a couple weeks ago I, for who knows what time it was. I will so say many I, times I did too. Yeah, I've been on a classic movie binge lately. I just watched um, Orange. What's that one I just told you about? What? Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. I mean, that one's a real classic. Crazy but. movie. Anyways, yeah, Pitt. I mean, Pitt and Leo are amazing in this. Let's start breaking down the movie. So they are. I mean, what's your? Are we just skipping over performances, or what? What do you want to do? Well, we can we can do performances now, I guess. I mean, I I, I You're, this is your podcast. You know, it's our podcast. I this is like Boney Bear. We're a community <laughs> now. Okay. Um. Obviously, for me, Leo takes it. He he. If there's a winner, he wins it. But I don't think it's like that far away. You could switch out Pitt. So I'll go Pitt then. You could switch out Pitt and Leo. They're both equally good. It would be really cool if they're both nominated for lead actor. Obviously, one would win over the other. At this point in time, I don't see any other actors vying for that. Um, movies have really sucked. We'll get into that, but. May probably not in this podcast. No. Everyone else in this movie, I mean, Robbie could be nominated as a sporting actress just from her scenes. I mean, she was, and I, I don't mean it's like this isn't like defending t- how Tarantino portrayed her. I mean, she was electric. We we've said this when she's on the screen, you want to watch. She could be nominated for a sporting actress. And then I don't know how Tarantino does this. This is one of those other things that he's able to do. But he gets so many big actors or well-known actors to come in and do like two lines why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want to spend one day and just do two lines yeah on it, i mean it's got to be like one or two days each right yeah i mean it was amazing so what was your favorite like short i mean i wrote down a bunch some i liked and some i didn't like like parts um yeah so smaller but not like a, de- a decent part um is the hippie that brad pitt um picks up 
they kind of like have this weird like back and forth they see each other a couple times and then she's the one that he picks up and you know she's like oh come on i want you to meet uh charlie and you know all these guys and takes her takes him out to the ranch and that is, is um the character of Pussycat. Yeah, she is good. And uh, that is played by Margaret Margaret Qualey. Uh, her big the thing that I know her from is uh, Leftovers, the HBO show, which was one of my favorite shows. She played Jill Garvey. Um, and she was just this awesome hippie chick in this movie. Uh, great little fact here. She didn't shave her armpits during the filming of this. Notice. Uh, <laughs> to be like a real hippie. So like you can see her really long yeah. armpit hair. Um, but she's still really cute. Uh, yeah, right? she, she's really good in this. She, I mean... She's fun. She's cute. She like she well just captures Pitt. this young. Hippie, she works really well with Pitt's character, hitchhiker, and you know he's the older man, and they have this weird little flirty thing going on. Mm. Um, so I thought she like kind of stole the show for a little while. Yeah, she doesn't. I don't. I mean, I guess it's a significant part, but not that. a lot of lines. Not a lot of lines, but it's a big part in that she's the one that takes. You know. Mm. Um, you know Pitt's character out to the ranch so i thought that was a really good one that was a really good smaller part i think um another small part that maybe wasn't amazing but just a quick like trivia piece on it bruce Dern, who plays george spawn who spawned ranch where the manson family lived real guy bruce uh spawn george spawn was a real guy he was played by Bruce Dern in this. He was supposed to be played by, oh, what's his name? I don't know. Should have wrote it down. I should have wrote it down. Son of a bitch. All right. Anyway, I think he did really good in that. Um, it's a funny part. It is a really funny part. And I would love to get into that whole thing, um, that whole 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the movie the one person I'll say who I the only actor I hated in this that was like I just took me out of the movie was Lena Dunham Ugh, I was gonna say that too when she was in this I was like I'm out this, yeah, I don't on. like her no and she did not she, well, she, not play, she just actress. plays herself in yeah. this and I was like that's Lena Dunham immediately I was like that's Lena Dunham you, you know like you she's play. just annoying and she plays herself yeah and I think a good good comparison is Dakota Fanning plays Squeaky mm-hmm. who's, who's uh, supposedly like sleeping with George Spawn yeah. to like let them stay there. I didn't even know that was Dakota Fanning. Yeah. Until afterwards. But when Lena Dunham came on, I was like, I'm out. I'd be okay with not having Lena Dunham on screen for anything ever again. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I, and I think like some of the stuff she like, like I thought Girls was a clever show and pretty entertaining. But like I thought she was the worst person on screen in Girls. Yeah, not, not a fan. I'm I'm a, I guess I'm a fan of her ideas and like creativity, but on screen I don't really like her yeah. as a character. That's fair. I didn't like Damian Lewis in this movie either. This is a Queen. this is a interesting topic, and I he's just not really doing well for me. He's on a big slide. Yeah, um, Steve McQueen is my friend and I are, are are motorcycle guys, and Steve McQueen is like the man in motorcycle America. So, like, we already had this kind of slight obsession with him, and I, I told him, I'll keep an eye out for Damian Lewis and see how he does. There's some other stuff with McQueen in this movie, you know, um, 
Leonardo DiCaprio's character is based on Steve McQueen. Partially, right? Partially, yeah. But Damien Lewis in this, when he gives that, like, he's kind of used to explain the whole Margot Robbie was in love with this guy. The Sharon Tate love triangle. Yeah, that's what he was used for. He does not look like Steve McQueen. (laughs) And the hair was wrong, I think. Yeah, he he stood out. I was really hoping for better, uh, just because Steve McQueen was such a cool guy. And it... I mean, Steve McQueen's like one of the coolest guys ever. Yeah, and right? it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't right, I think. Yeah, it didn't hit. It didn't hit. I Quickly, we'll touch on, I want to, before I forget, the Steve McQueen, kind of the, the Rick Dalton, Steve McQueen. Rick Dalton and Steve McQueen both were in a Western TV series that was really popular. And then... Steve McQueen got picked up by a movie, went into movies, and that's when he became the movie star and the super famous guy. And then so Tarantino uses Rick Dalton, Leo's character, as that like same thing. He was in a TV series that then he decided to leave to do movies, except his movies flopped. So there's a little moment in there where he's talking about how it was like he could have been in uh, The Great Escape, and then they CGI'd him into The Great Escape. (laughs) I was dying. That was amazing. I would watch a Leo great escape where everything's the same except leo's in it oh that was awesome yeah not something you'll see in most no, movies no again it's tarantino doing what he wants yeah that was pretty sweet yeah anyone else stand out uh scoot mcnary has like two lines yeah again i love scoot he was probably on it for like half a day uh, if you don't know who scoot mcnary is that's fine but he's amazing and you should look up scoot mcnary the actor yeah uh yeah scoot's great yeah, I mean, just a bunch of big actors. You know, Emil Hirsch played Jay Sebring, who was like a famous hairdresser mm-hmm. um, who was in love with Margot Robbie. Tim Lee, Timothy Oliphant was in this for a little bit. Um, Luke Perry, this was his last movie mm-hmm. before yeah. he passed away, and he, he was kind of good in it for what we he... We mentioned Pacino. Pacino's in it. Um, and then Mike Moe. So I want to get to this, because this was a big controversy uh mike mo plays bruce lee in this and yeah famously the lee family was not happy with tarantino's portrayal of bruce lee i'm on the record and tarantino's on the record to say this is a movie it's art and so he can first of all he can betray it any way he wants i don't expect the lee family to like it um but at the same time, the amount of publicity that like they're getting saying how bad it was is annoying. He was in the movie like for like 10 minutes. And I'm pretty sure, in my opinion, it was almost like Cliff Booth imagining what happened when he was on the roof. Mm-hmm. If you guys aren't aware of what we're talking about, there's a scene where Cliff Booth fights Bruce Lee and is kind of winning. Uh, it also portrays Bruce Lee to be kind of arrogant, uh, saying he could beat Muhammad Ali, things like that. By all accounts, that's true. Bruce Lee was a very confident guy. Um, Tarantino defended himself and said, even in Bruce Lee's wife's autobiography, uh, he sa- he would he would say that he could beat anybody on any given day. I had Lee. I don't know. I mean, probably you can't fucking beat Cliff Booth. I can't beat Cliff Booth. Know. 
And again, this is fiction. And that's what Tarantino said. He's like, for all you know, Cliff Booth is the biggest, like, most amazing, capable fighter, fighter ever. He's not a real character. So what's the point? What's going on here? Yeah, this is when I get I annoyed care. by media <laughs> just taking it too far. Yeah. Were you offended by this? Do you see why it could be offensive? Um, I mean, I guess I'd see. I don't really have anything to add. I, don't, I think it's stupid. I think it's stupid, too. I thought it was a funny few minutes. Um, anytime you go back and, like, rewrite history, I guess somebody's going to be upset. Somebody's going to be offended, yeah. Um, but basically, in this time and age that we live in, there's going to be somebody offended and upset about everything. And everyone gets a voice nowadays. Uh, so, Yeah. Yeah, I mean... So I'm sure there'll be a Bruce Lee documentary next year I mean, that says how amazing... I would probably watch it because That says how amazing he is. He's kind of a cool guy. You know, and that's great. But yeah, you're going to offend somebody no matter what you do. I mean, they also highlight other things about... It's funny as hell. It's one of the best parts of the movie. It was so funny. They also highlighted other things about Bruce Lee where he also trained people to be in movies. Yeah. And like, I didn't actually know that. So that's a positivity thing that I'm seeing in this movie. Again... One of those controversies among many. And like I said, these are, I mean, people were picking at the movie before it even came out. So I'm not really surprised. Uh, but I thought Mike Mo did a great job. He was like homeless before this movie. Cool. Apparently. That's so sweet. he now he's, you know, now people know who he is. Anything else? Anybody else? No, I think you, you hit pretty much everyone I was going to mention. Mm-hmm yeah so let's dive into the movie talk about our favorite parts maybe our least favorite parts um it opens i mean i don't want to break down every every scene but like it's very clear that rick dalton is struggling like immediately uh he meets with he meets with um pacino's character marvin schwartz schwartz okay schwartz and he wants him to do spaghetti westerns, which I didn't know were a thing before this. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, they go out of their way to explain a spaghetti, spaghetti western. Yeah, spaghetti western, uh, which I thought was hilarious. And it's just like a bunch of shots from around Hollywood, around old Hollywood. I mean, that's like the first. This whole movie is again a love letter to Hollywood, and it's a bunch of shots of it. Um, the famous movie theaters really fun interesting point when Robbie and her friends are going to that Mexican restaurant she said I didn't know pornos had openings uh-huh. that's actually now Tarantino owns the theater that that was opening at yeah he owns the theater that was across is across from uh, the coy- what's the coyote mm-hmm. I don't know someplace yeah <laughs> I thought it was funny he put his own theater in the movie got good flex on him what were your favorite parts? I mean, what stuck out to you? Yeah, well, you've already gone over uh, the Bruce Lee getting his ass kicked. Um, we haven't talked about the ending. I don't know if you want to do that yet. Uh, what else did I love? Uh, we mentioned the CGI. What about the uh, Spawn Ranch? Spawn Ranch is probably the more, like, creepy. Mm. Um, it's kind of the the part of the movie where you realize like if you didn't know that about that it was a murder movie that you'd be like oh something weird is going on right yeah it's probably the most tense part of it because you don't know like he he's gonna rewrite history could cliff booth either right they've they killed other people i mean you never know right yeah i think there's a big lingering thought that brad pitt's character 
because he Cliff keeps pissing people die. off. Yeah, uh, you know, and that that would be very Tarantino to kill off um, a major character halfway through the film. Right. So I think that's definitely probably the most you know kind of tense part of the movie. It was. It was very tense. He 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 did so well though. It's like he just doesn't care. He's kind of a hippie. That's why it's funny how Leo's character hates it so much because he kind of is. He just doesn't care. He's going to go along with it. And he was going along with it. And and it's funny because technically Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton filmed on Spawn Ranch, so he kind of knows what's going on. That was a really good part until Lena Dunham came in. But I thought, you know, tax, you get introduced to Tex. Tex. Tex, you get you know, find out what he's all about later. But And then he makes the guy fix his wheel and he just yeah. beats the shit out of him until he does yeah. which is just hilarious uh that was a good yeah one of the more intense scenes in a lighthearted first two hours um one that was i liked a lot was anytime leo is with the little girl um what's her name julia butters who plays trudy in the movie uh those were really good scenes she's a really good actress actor first of all um, you're talking about when they're reading when he's reading a book and she's reading the script and she's like I can only be in character right now I thought it was funny it is good and then when they're doing the uh, pretend TV scene with um, where Leo kidnaps technically kidnaps her I thought it was a good Leo scene kind of showing him switching back and forth and him forgetting also him forgetting lines anything that was on set was really cool because they were on another set yeah. while on set there's a lot of great Leo character building um, that happens. His character, like, acting, like, builds his character within the movie, if that makes sense. Right. Um, he's in all these TV shows and westerns, and you get, like, the sense of who he is. and uh, So those are all good. I, I guess to talk about, you brought up... Anytime Pitt is driving is a, is good, a good scene. scene yeah. I love all the cars. The cars are good. I mean, the whole thing feels good. But to, you brought it up, and let's kind of let's talk about now. When Tarantino makes a movie, he makes a wider universe too, so you see so much. And he went, they went back and they filmed all of these spots that Rick Dalton would have been in. And you know, it's a two-hour and like forty-eight minute movie. I think it could have been longer. Two forty-two, I think. Yeah, I wanted more almost because those those scenes with Leo pretending to be Rick Dalton, acting in a TV show or a movie, were awesome. Like the he went so in depth you would be in it for like five minutes like that's a lot for a flashback i yeah it doesn't it didn't at 240 when the movie was wrapping up i was like i could sit here for another hour i didn't it didn't feel like a long movie oh to me um i think the there probably will be and are some complaints that it's a little long i think a lot of people probably could do without like the western flashbacks yeah and all the western movie talk and uh, like <laughs> um yeah yeah i mean he went way into like, all the best movies you're building a world around yeah. the story i mean everything i want to go back and just listen to what's on the radio because he like made radio stations to be what would have been on at that time he made magazines you can see magazines in the like windows and those are actual magazines like full through created magazines that's that's awesome and it makes you be in that world a little bit more one of the first um 
first things you hear on the radio is about Sirhan Sirhan. Mm-hmm. You know what that's from? Mm-hmm. The uh, Kennedy assassination. Right, yeah. Sure. Sirhan Sirhan. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that just shows you about the amount of detail, detail in, mind, in, yeah. in the, like, that time, yeah. time period. And the fucking hippies, man. <laughs> Let's bring up, an, uh, that just reminded me of another scene. Towards the end, Rick fucking Dalton hates the fucking hippies. Rick Dalton hates the fucking hippies. There's a ton of spots throughout this movie when he says fucking hippies all the time. When he's told he needs to put on long hair to be to look more like a hippie, he's pissed off. Um, but one scene that was just like iconic and will definitely be like a gif later on is when he comes outside to scream at, at the Manson family in, in like a robe and with like the margaret or the daiquiri blender 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 in his hand. Hand. daiquiri mix yeah that was an amazing scene and behind him is a picture of himself uh-huh. in his parking spot that's a that was i was this was a funny movie like i was dying well, the first two hours are hilarious yeah but even the end was hilarious like you're yeah, watching it's hilarious in like this weird crazy everyone's dying sort of way. let's talk about the ending i guess let's just get right into it this is the, the peak so the movie stops like we said and then he jumps ahead six months leo rick dalton decides to go to italy do the spaghetti westerns meets a italian wife they come back and then it's like the night of the manson murders so that happens the man's family pulls up to kind of take a look Rick Dalton comes out screams at him tells the fucking hippies to leave uh, that this is a private drive so instead of going after Sharon Tate they're like let's go get that guy we know who he is he's also an on TV or whatever at the same time Pitt Cliff Booth is high on an acid dip cigarette and so he's just loving it he, if you guys didn't know there's an amazing pit bull in this movie so he's with his Pitbull buddy, and there's high Rick's in the pool. Pool with his headphones, with his headset on. With big heads on, his wife is sleeping. And so they show up to his house instead of Sharon Tate's house. Uh, And then because we found out that Cliff Booth's good at fighting, he takes them all on, basically. And it's just a hilarious Tarantino flex where it's brutal, there's blood. Um, so much blood the dog kills the dog destroys destroys the dog wins the movie the dog is the best in the movie there's just blood it's like you know overly like instead of pounding someone's head in the wall twice it's like 10-15 times and that was like that that's what we described I guess as classic Tarantino but I was laughing I thought it was hilarious and I as soon as it started happening you were like oh yeah I mean, Tarantino was obviously going to change what happened. Yeah, it's, it's his least violent film ever. Yeah. Um, but we get 10 minutes of just nonstop violence at yeah. the end. Mm. Um, but still his least violent film. And then you get Rick Dalton walking back out with the flamethrower, which was hilarious. The whole theater was erupted in laughter when he pulls out the flamethrower, <laughs> um, which is... Just an incredible, you know, him flamethrowering someone in his own pool was just so good. It was amazing. The flamethrower was all, it was a real flamethrower too, which is hilarious. I guess Leo was like, didn't want to use it because he was worried about it. That was amazing. The whole ending was amazing. And then we get, after Cliff Cliff Booth gets injured in the fight, so he gets gone on an ambulance and you get like that friendship moment between the two of them 
he gets invited up by J.C. Bring to Sharon Tate's house. Mm-hmm. What he always wanted to be, in, you know, he said, "I want to go to the parties there and get into the next Roman Polanski movie." Yeah, it was an interesting ending. Um, people were looking into the ending, trying to figure out what it actually meant. I don't think it meant a lot, other than, "Hey, Sharon Tate's alive." Sharon Tate's alive, and and he lives next to her. Yeah, so he's probably going to so use possibilities, and people know him. Mm-hmm. You know, people know he was in a very popular Bounty Law. Bounty Law. He was in a very popular TV to show. To my wife and all my sweethearts, may they never meet. Bounty Law, there's probably like a full episode that they recorded almost for this movie. Probably. It's probably like 30, 40 minutes of footage. Uh, I don't know. Awesome movie. I think we've been, you know, we've been going for like... I think just to preface that whole end scene, um, Pitt's character... Like the biggest part of Booth and that whole character before that end scene where he literally destroys like three Manson people while he's fucking high on acid, uh, an acid dip cigarette. He gets the news that like he can't be Rick's stunt double anymore because he doesn't have the money or, you know, that's going out. They don't like him. Yeah, I mean, he got in trouble for, you know, kicking uh, Bruce Lee's, Bruce Lee's yes. ass and but there's, whatnot. And um, this is another controversy piece. This is how they portrayed Cliff Booth. Because he's kind of like a hero, but he also might have murdered his wife. We don't know that. That's what I said. We don't know that. But that's one of the controversy pieces that people bring up um, in this, about this movie. And I, again, I say, number one, it's fiction. Number two, Cliff Booth clearly isn't like a true hero. He was just there and he was high on acid and he was like, I'm going to kill these hippies. Yeah. I, I mean, think... he's, not, he's not like a hero. Like, he's not like a superhero who needs to be clean all the time. So right before all of that, when Cliff, you know, beats the shit out of the Manson folk and the flamethrower. Amazing. Uh, Kurt Russell as the narrator has this line, like when they're eating, they go to dinner, like both... Sharon Tate goes to dinner with J.C. Bring, yeah. and Cliff and Rick go to dinner. Both and the nice line things. that I think the narrator says that sums up the movie is this, in quotes. When you come to the end of... And, ugh, I'm going to start over. Yeah, start over for me. When you come to the end of the line with a buddy who is more than a brother and a little less than a wife, getting blind drunk together is the only way to say farewell. Right, it's coming to a close. So they tell you it's coming to a close. Um, you know, Cliff and Rick are going to get split apart here a little bit by the industry. Right. right. But they're buddies. They're almost married. Yeah. In a sense. Right. And it's all coming to an end. And they're going to get blind drunk together. And they go out with an absolute bang. I mean, yeah, at the end. Rick's wife is asleep and he wants to keep drinking with Cliff. Like, yeah, that's it. You know, it's all he wants to do. And it's come, you know, because he knows his career might end. So that means if if Rick's career ends, Cliff's career ends. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they want to get blind drunk. Joe. Yeah, I think the end of the film is very good for Sharon Tate. Mm. It's very good for Rick. I don't think we know if it's good for Cliff. I think... So, you know, if, if people want to go with the narrative that he's, like, not the greatest guy and he right. might have murdered his wife, well, he doesn't necessarily come out of this in the best way. Right. I would I assume, and this is my take, Cliff is going to bring, or Rick is going to bring him along. Like, if, if it goes well for Rick, he's going to bring him along. Um, you know, he, he, like, forced him on to movies that they didn't want him in anymore. You know, he, they're buddies. Like, that, again, that sums it up. They're 
basically married, so he's going to bring him with no matter what, whether he's, it's just his gopher, because he basically is his gopher, I mean, he has, he has him fixing his fucking antenna, <laughs> yeah. which reminds me, we didn't talk about, there's a five-minute scene with Charles Manson in this. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Manson, because he's not really part of he's the not, movie. Because he didn't really murder anybody, let's remember, I mean, he had other people do it for him. Right. But he had, there's, and this was a real thing, he did go and to Tate's house. Yeah. This was creepy, and it was really well done because it was all shot like far away at first because it's from like Cliff's perspective, and so you just see him walking up the, uh-huh. the road. Little trivia: the same guy who played Manson in this is going to play it in season two of Mindhunter, which I thought was kind of cool. Which is out today. Out today, I watched the first episode. Maybe we'll get you. Out. We'll do some episodes about that because it's an amazing show. Check it out. I thought it was a good, like a good five minutes. Like you said, we didn't talk about him because he wasn't really in the movie. I don't think he needed to be. It, w- it wouldn't. It wasn't part of the f- structure of the film. Because again, it wasn't about the Manson murders. It wasn't about Sharon Tate. It was about these two guys. They just happened to live next door to Sharon Tate. To Sharon yeah. Tate. But it was a good five minutes. I thought it was really creepy because like he's just Charles Manson's a creepy guy. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just a good five minutes and. At the end of the movie, it was almost like the same shot of when Charles Manson walks up as to how Cliff uh, Rick Dalton walks up. So I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Anything else? We've been going for an hour. No, I would say it's what I mean. Where is this? I think you got to go to your Tarantino. We're gonna right after this quick break. We're gonna, I gotta pee. We're gonna talk about <laughs> just being honest. We're gonna talk about where this ranks in the Tarantino universe. So stick with us. We'll be right back. So let's talk about where this movie fits into the Tarantino film filmography. He's been in the film business for over 30 years. Uh, like we said, he counts his movies as the nine he made or that he wrote, wrote and directed. So mostly that's what we'll talk about. Um, I know you're a big Tarantino fan. I'm a Tarantino fan. So where, where does this fit in with... First of all, what what would you give this movie? What, how would you rate this movie? I don't know uh, what the We Made Changes rating system is. Zero to ten. Okay, yeah, I'd, I like the ten. I'd say instantly an eight, um, which is high. Yeah, that's high. I don't, you know, eight, eight, nine, and ten are hard to very good movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's only like. A, less than a handful of tens mm. so and it takes time like it does i think after you know a rewatch that i'll do probably in the next couple of weeks and then in a couple of years i can reassess i don't have that amount of time but it's definitely it's already an eight for me i literally sat through all of it and it flew by and i just love i didn't want it to end i love every second so i don't i can't really give it less than an eight it's the best thing it's the favorite thing, my favorite thing I've seen this year so far. Yeah. Like, like I said, maybe we'll do an episode about movies this year, but I think, yeah, I'll give it an 8.5 and I'm going to give it that 0.5, but it's just because Leo's in it. And like I said, I'm a Leo fanboy. Um, it was, it was amazing. And also bias of movies this year have been so bad. I'm probably going to give it a better rating. That can adjust over time. This is a movie I can easily watch again. This is a movie I'll probably, I might buy, 
I buy very little movies and this, I could see myself buying this one, you know, to be able to watch it whenever I want. Um, I do the same thing with, you know, Christopher Nolan movies. So let's go through his list. Reservoir Dogs, 92, Pulp Fiction, 94, Jackie Brown, 97. Then you have Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2 in 2003, 2004. Um, then a big break until Inglorious Bastards, or Death Proof. Yeah, he does Death, Death, Death Proof. Death Proof in with, 2007. Uh, Rodriguez. And then Inglorious Bastards, 2009. Django Unchained, 11, or, or 12, Hateful Eight, 15. And then once upon a time in nineteen. Um, interestingly enough, IMDb lists Star Trek as like a next movie, and that's not confirmed. So IMDb sucks. Uh, so what? Where where does this fit? What's your favorite out of all of these? How does it compare to your favorite? How does it compare to the other movies? Um, the whole him make, first of all, the whole him only doing ten movies. Uh, it's kind of sad. It's sad, but also, why do we have to? Why are we necessarily believing that that's the case? He might just do Star Trek and not count it because it's not because not he didn't because it's not original, original or whatever. Yeah, right. Um. Anyway, I think it's pushing on top three for me, but I don't. I think I'll need more time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I Pulp Fiction is definitely my favorite. Um. I think my second favorite is Jackie Brown, and then my third favorite is Inglorious Bastards. I think I have Bastards and this movie like kind of tied for third, but I would need to like I need to see this more. Right, and we could um, do a whole pot on Tarantino movies. We could, and I just after after Inglorious Bastards, I don't I don't really need any of his movies. Not um, Django. No, I was not a fan of Django. Okay. Django was got I just didn't. I don't know. I think uh, the first two hours of this movie is way more Jackie Brown. Yeah. And then I think the last 20 to 30 minutes is more Inglorious Bastards, where he just goes crazy and writes history. Inglorious Bastards, yeah. Um, so I think it's a combination of those two. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, it feels different. Um, that's a good list. I, I struggle with it because... They're they're different and it's hard. I mean, it changes. My mood changes. So maybe one day I'm like, let's do Jack Brown. That's why this movie might be my top two because I think it is a mixture of movies for him and it feels different. Uh, but Pulp Fiction is amazing. Like, uh, you cannot watch Pulp Fiction uh, unless it's on TV because you have to need to watch that in a rated R version. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd say Pulp Fiction... And Glorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time are all up there. Top three. Jackie Brown right there, too. It just depends on the mood I'm in. But it's unbelievable. Unbelievable on like, quality movie. Kill Bills, I don't really care for those. Yeah, I think they're fine. They're entertaining, but I wouldn't even put that. I mean, I'm They're very not. much a genre. It's a genre movie. It's genre like movie, it's, yeah. you know, he's really going for something in those that I enjoyed but i wouldn't yeah no. they're not my favorite yeah shout out to true romance which he did not direct but wrote right awesome that's probably his most famous writing yeah out awesome of his, outside of his movies 
Uh, he was not in this movie. Good. Probably like the, one of the few times he's not in it. Worst part of Pulp Fiction is him. Yeah. And also, he's kind of like a piece of shit in that movie, too. Like, if he's there's a racist. A, if, yeah, if there's a part that in that movie that is not okay today, it's his part. Uh, but wait, which, that's a whole other He gets in trouble for Yeah. Again, well, maybe we'll do a Tarantino special because uh, I like to talk about Tarantino forever. <laughs> Overall, love the movie. It's the best movie of the year so far. I don't know of many other movies that maybe compete with it besides like Irishman coming out, uh, Martin Scorsese film. Ford Ferrari's probably going to get some buzz. Ford vs. Ferrari looks good. My dad, our dad is up on that because he's a Ford guy. We'll do a whole yeah. uh, year review at some point. But yeah. we got a lot. Of, we got time. We Movie got time. season's coming. Yeah, hopefully. Enough of this shit. Um, I think this was a bounce back for him. After he played. Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to his 10th movie. I don't know how he tops it. With these two actors, the story he tells. Just gotta take, I mean, he'll take his time. If it yeah. takes five years to get the right, yeah. the right project, then fine. So, really quickly and finally, my last question is, so, like you said, this was supposed to be a novel. He said he wants to do 10 movies. That way he can move on to do TV series or write novels. Some producing, maybe. Producing. My question is, would you like to read a Tarantino novel? Of course. Do you think it would be good, too? Yeah. I mean, it'd be basically modern-day Elmore Leonard, which is what he based Jackie Brown off of, an Elmore Leonard right, model, yeah, that's a, novel. That's a novel. So, yeah. I mean, if you can write... You know, a movie like Pulp Fiction, I'm sure you can write a pretty snappy, dialogue-heavy novel. I'd be so up for it. Yeah. I would pre-order that. That'd so, be sweet. Yeah. I'm excited. It's sad that he said he's going to do 10. Like like you, I think that might not happen. Uh, I think what might happen is he'll say he's done with movies. He'll do something else. And then he'll be like, I have an amazing movie idea. I have to do it. Which is fine. That It's going to probably be a really good movie. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. Well, one thing, you're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. <laughs> Dude, some great, great lines in this. Gotta watch it again. Uh, I might see it in theaters. You said you might see it in theaters again. Yeah, I might go again before it, before it leaves. phases out. It'll probably be on for a while, though. Um, so we have time to see it again. If you guys haven't seen it, why the fuck did you listen to this whole episode? Go see it. For those of you who did see it, Leave us a message on Anchor. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email. We made changes. Even if you did Gmail. did see it, why the hell have you listened to this whole episode? Yeah. I mean, you have your Get own a life. Get a life. But thank you for listening. Share it with family and friends. Give us five stars on iTunes. All that jazz that you hear on every podcast. Welcome back to the We Made Changes podcast. And uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Peace.